Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Last First Date Radio, featuring interviews with experts in dating, relating, and mating in midlife. And now, here's your host, Sandy Weiner. Hello, everybody. This is Sandy. I am the founder and chief love officer at Last First Date, and I want to thank you for joining me here today. Last First Date Radio is an acclaimed show about achieving healthy, off-the-charts love in the second half of life. We have a wonderful show coming up for you today. I'm going to be speaking with therapists and authors, Linda and Charlie Bloom, about the harmful relationship myths that are out there and why it's important to bust them if you want a healthy relationship. As a dating coach, I specialize in helping women date as the high-value women that they are in every other part of their lives. When a woman knows her true worth, she attracts her most aligned partner. And most women who come to me for support are fabulous mothers, they're successful in the workforce, but they have challenges when it comes to romantic relationships. And one of the biggest mistakes that I notice over and over again is that women often date with the same energy that they bring to their work. They come to dating with competition and one-upsmanship and argumentation. And while this makes them very successful in the workplace, it can definitely turn off the men that they're attracted to. I used to be guilty of this, and I used to think that men would be more attracted to me if they knew how crazy busy I was. And I was building my business, I was trying to manage my home life, my parents, you know, just trying to juggle a million balls in the air, and I would talk about how crazy busy I was. And men would say, I don't know how to time slot you, you know, how you're going to time slot me into into your life. Actually, I wouldn't hear back from a lot of men, they would just think I'm way too busy to be in a relationship. And so that wasn't true. That was actually a defense of mine to talk about my busyness because I wanted to prove that I was a person of value. But that isn't how you prove your value in a romantic relationship. You prove your value by being warm and connected and um, a good listener and emotionally available And these are very different traits than the things that make you successful out there in the workforce. So what I've done is I've identified the mistakes that sabotage people in relationships very often. And I have created a free guide that outlines those three mistakes and actionable steps to turn them around. So if you would like a a free copy... Go to lastfirstdate.com and you can sign up on my homepage. Also, if you're a woman over 40, I'd like to invite you to my Facebook group. It's called Your Last First Date. And we have almost 400 members now. It's growing every day. It's pretty awesome in there where people come to get really solid, practical advice about dating after 40. Often people get advice from family members and friends and it's not good advice and you know they want you to find love but they're all ganging up against the people that you dated that didn't work out and I want you to learn and to grow and to be a healthy dater which brings me to our fabulous show today but before we get there I want to shout out to our sponsor Audible um Audible is the foremost um company that that creates 
um, auto, well, I always have trouble saying this, but um, audiobooks, if you are a person who is so busy, like I used to say I was, but if you're really always on the run and you want to read and you don't always have time to read, Audible is a great source for you. And um, I know a lot of our listeners are already Audible members, but if you're not and you've always wanted to try it, all you have to do is go to audibletrial.com forward slash last first date and you get a free book, a free audio book, and a free month of Audible. So go to audibletrial.com forward slash last first date. And now for our guests, Linda Bloom and Charlie Bloom. They are therapists. They, regular, they regularly teach at the Esalen Institute in California and the Kropalo Center, and they have served as adjunct faculty at institutes of higher learning, including UC Berkeley Extension and California Institute for Integral Studies. They live in Santa Cruz, and their website is bloomwork.com. Welcome to the show, Linda and Charlie. I'm delighted to be here with you, Sandy. Oh, Me thank too. You. Thank you. Thanks for inviting thank us. Thank you. I love having couples on. I've only had a few, and it's really fun to hear a man and a woman and different points of view, and um, especially you know a successful couple. That's that's always a nice thing to see. So thank you. Ha! Ah, let's talk about myths, and you know. People are very susceptible to believing all the myths that are out there. So how can they avoid these damaging beliefs? And if you could start out by mentioning a few of the myths that are really popular and why they're so damaging. Well, one of the ones that we run into a lot, and of course we've got a skewed sample because we're both therapists, so we see people who uh, are in trouble, but... They come with the idea that my family was so screwed up. I didn't have a happy childhood, and I'm doomed now. I'm never going to be able to have a great relationship. So we like to break that one up right away. Mm. That We find that if people got a rough start in life, that does not have to mean that they're going to have um, serious difficulty in relationship. It has so much more to do with how much fire in the belly you have now. If you're committed and you and you enroll your partner, that you're going to roll up your sleeves and you've got a good work ethic and we're going to learn the communication skills, we're going to learn the conflict management skills, we're going to learn how to be our best selves and bring the best out in each other, then that is going to be the significant, the most significant factor, not that you didn't have a good model from your family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we we run into this happily ever after myth a lot that it's not just women who have it, although I will say I run into it more with women. Um, men have it too, the romantic myth that once you find, you know, a wonderful partner that, the love that's there should just flow out of the relationship. You should understand each other and respect each other and enjoy each other. And when they hit trouble spots, they get really worried 
maybe I got the wrong person, maybe I am the wrong person, maybe we're a hopeless mismatch, and it can be very frightening. But we're drawn to our compliments, and so people are going to be very different from us, and that's a good thing. They can expand us and grow us and stretch us, and it's it can be wonderful, but we have to learn how to respect the differences. It's very tempting to get into a dark place when we have these limiting beliefs because they they cramp us, you know, they hold us in such a small space. And when we start to examine them, is this really true? Does this serve me? Is this a script somebody else put in my hands? I want to write my own script. Then people can really breathe more easily. You know, there's more space. And they have that curiosity and wonder about, well, what do I really believe and know from my own experience about relationships? And that's good for relationship, that kind of curiosity. Hmm. Yeah, I I just want to speak to, there's so much here, but I I think that the first point you bring up about people thinking that if they come from a screwed up family, then they're doomed. And I, I actually have heard several of my clients say it's in my DNA to... Um, you know, to not be lovable. It's in my DNA to be a martyr. Um, you know, it's all these things that they've learned. And I I immediately correct them and say it's learned behavior and it can be unlearned. <laughs> you know, then you have control over it. So it's important for people to know that so much that we've been conditioned to think is in our blood, in our DNA, it's our legacy, we can actually change the legacy with the right skills. Yes, I uh, <laughs> couldn't agree more with you on that one. Um, and what I've found, I think what we've both, Linda and I have both seen and been struck by, <clears throat> is how attached we humans can get to our stories about how defective we are and how much resistance uh, so many of us have to giving up those stories. And that's one of the reasons why we, we, we wrote the book to, is to give people some more evidence that a lot of the stories that they're holding on to are not only um, uh, damaging their, uh, limiting their chances of changing their life and, opening up more possibilities for themselves. But they're they're contributing to the dilemma that they find themselves in. They're reinforcing the stories. They're reinforcing the behaviors that are keeping them limited and stuck. So we're really wanting to shake people up a little bit um, and get in their faces uh, about um, how self-righteous we can become about our beliefs that, you know, for example, uh, there's no good men out there who are available, um, or once a cheater, always a cheater, which are two of the myths that we bust up in in the book, you know, which isn't to say that there aren't, you know, some frogs out there that you're going to have to kiss um, along the way, and that some people are, uh, you know, serial cheaters but to make a generalization that covers an entire gender is probably not a wise thing to do Mm -hmm. so that's that's a big part of what we're 
we're hoping to not only um, challenge a lot of these beliefs that so many of us carry, um, but to provide the reader with some very useful strategies and skills and tools to create a myth-free life. Mm. Yeah, I think there's so much assumption and um, not enough curiosity in in relationships where you bring your old story and then you immediately project onto somebody something because of an old story. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. we see that all, all the time. And, um, you know, we've got to be willing to exp- to challenge some of those assumptions and beliefs and get curious about, well, what what is actually true here? That may be true for certain situations. It might even be true for a lot of people. It could even be true for the majority. I don't know. But um, what is true about this unique set of circumstances with this person in it? right now and that's what really we want to get people to examine the unique aspects of your current situation rather than just buy uh, an off the rack theory about how things are mm-hmm. so people form these conclusions I'm assuming to protect themselves to keep themselves safe from from being hurt? Like, what are some of the reasons that people believe these stories? Well, there is a way in which if you buy your own story and you believe your belief and you don't examine them, there's a certain sense of security. It's rather a false sense of security, but it it gives you some protection. So one of the examples um, is if he really loved me, I wouldn't have to ask for what I need, and he'd just give it to me. We refer to that huh. one as the myth of mind reading. Yeah, and, you I know, <laughs> I, never even, I never even knew it was a belief. I was so in it, mm. you know, that I never even stopped to consider that it could be anything other than what I thought it to be. And I created so much suffering in the beginning of my relationship with Charlie because He's he's not as demonstrative with taking my hand or kisses goodnight or hugs, and I'm totally touchaholic. And so when he wasn't demonstrative like that, the story I made up in my mind, and I totally believed it, was, gee, it's too bad he just doesn't love me very much. I know he Aww. loves me some, but, I, you know, he just doesn't love me very much. I had no idea that by buying into that certain belief that I was keeping myself from having to be vulnerable to risk sticking my neck out and to ask for what I wanted and maybe to get refused. And when I did start to, you know, not believe everything I thought and I took a chance and I said, you know, it would really mean a lot to me if we would kiss goodnight before we go to sleep. It would really mean a lot to me if we were walking, you know, walking by the beach, if you took my hand sometimes. Or if I didn't even say anything, but when I wanted to kiss or a hug or take his hand, I would do it myself and take responsibility for it. And our relationship really sweetened up a lot because I wasn't, you know, languishing in this sadness that would sometimes turn into irritation and resentment. Mm 
And I, I started to understand how I didn't want to get vulnerable and and risk asking. Mm-hmm. Boy, I I grew up as total mind readers and <laughs> and a lot of anger. It's like can't believe you didn't figure that out and then I of course did the same thing myself and it's it's amazing what happens when you learn effective communication when you are okay with being vulnerable um I just I I love this I love what you said about um asking for a goodnight kiss or a handhold or just do it you know and it's it changed your relationship for the better um Mm -hmm. it's such a beautiful thing and it's so simple when you when you finally realize how less how much less risky it is to do it than you think and certainly better than sitting in that place of feeling really bad um that the person may not love you as much and um i have a client who completely transformed her life in our work together and she was on her way into a date she just told me this and she slipped on her way in to the coffee shop and caught herself and the guy was sitting at the table like right in front and he clapped (laughs) she just burst out laughing now she could never have done that like she just was so self-compassionate and forgiving of herself like before it would have been like I'm an idiot I'm so mortified she said I just didn't care and he didn't care and it was so great so even something as simple as that, you're meeting somebody for the first time and you don't get all caught up in, like, I have to look good and be perfect and, you know, the things that we tell ourselves. Beautiful. <laughs> so let's talk about um, that. There, there are a lot of myths that seem to validate negative expectations rather than positive ones. Why is that? Well, I think for similar to the uh, response that Linda just gave about how we all crave a sense of security and we want to minimize um, risking in, in, in our life. I mean, some of us like to play the edge, but, um, you know, in general, uh, we don't want to put ourselves in positions where we're vulnerable to being hurt or rejected, or experiencing unpleasant uh, feelings. So um, when we affirm an, a negative expectation, um, for example, uh, one of the myths is um, after, uh, after many years, this isn't the exact wording, but it's the general idea, after many years, uh, marriages inevitably go flat and dull and boring. Uh, that's a that's a negative projection. And um, if we have a negative expectation, then when things happen that um, seem to confirm that, we're not in a position where we we feel obliged to do something about it because we're resigned to having that situation occurs so we don't have to take the risk of looking at ourselves and seeing is there anything that I've done that has contributed to this is there anything more that I could do do I have any hopes do I have any regrets and you know asking some really penetrating questions of ourselves and possibly of our partner that 
could, you know, upset the status quo. It could lead to uh, some conflict. It could lead to some feelings of uh, grief or remorse or sadness or anger or disappointment. And when we have these negative expectations, it, it kind of insulates us from <clears throat> from the need to uh, to emotionally risk going into territory that might otherwise be um, unpleasant. Mm. Yeah, that of course, makes sense. there's a high price that we pay for avoiding that, and mm-hmm. the price is that we create a self-fulfilling prophecy where we get to be right about our expectations because we act accordingly. I mean, if this is how things go inevitably, what's the point in even trying to have it be any different? I might as well just kind of get resigned to this as the reality that we're in and just continue living with the disappointment or the pain or the anger that that we've got because this is how it is. Mm-hmm. It's a high price. It's a, real it's high a very price. high price. Very high price, yeah. and I've definitely experienced that in in an unhealthy marriage. And mm-hmm. I I felt this was as good as it got. I looked around me, I yep. saw the same yep. thing, and so yep. there was a evidence to support my belief that marriages are not really, you know, they're not great. They don't really work right. out. So why leave this one for another bad one? Exactly. And yeah, uh, yep, so. I was stuck in there. I was really angry. I was hurt. I was alone. And and then the risk became too high. And I lost myself. Mm-hmm. And I said, Mm-mm. I, I don't need to go out and find another marriage. I need to save myself. That was mm-hmm. the first step. <laughs> I was just like, okay, Beautiful. whatever's out there. And then once I got out there, I realized, wow, there is so much more. And it's it's whatever you project is what you're going to find. Amen to that one. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about communication because we brought it up a few times, and um, I'm in the middle of a, of a communications course that I teach um, on – I teach to women about how to talk to men and listen to men and understand <laughs> men, and um, I just think this is such an important field that we, we don't get enough training in. So – People make mistakes, and they don't know how to apologize. What would be an effective way to apologize? That's actually one of the myths in the book, is we're trying to blow up anybody, still have that myth sticking to them about love means never having to say you're sorry. Oh, God. I oh that kill, gets people in love story. bad trouble. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. uh-huh. And they, they don't... Um, want to feel the vulnerability and to learn the art form about making an effective apology because the timing has to be it's so important it has to be done with finesse we need to tune into ourselves and calm ourselves down first if there's been a difficult interaction and make sure that when we say that we're sorry that it's completely heartfelt and sincere that we we can't you know fudge about it because the other person's not going to be satisfied and then even if we're completely sincere they may be still too upset and defended and protecting themselves to be able to receive the apology. Well, maybe one time isn't going to be enough. We might gesture with it and they're still, you know, protected and we have to wait and bide our time and offer again. 
But one of the things that we think is so overlooked is just to say I'm sorry, even if you really mean it, is only going part of the way. That to say, and what I have learned from this breakdown that's going to hold me and us in good stead going forward, I've really... I've learned that you've got a sensitive spot about this or that I've got a sensitive spot about this and I hadn't been as aware of it before. And I'm on I'm I'm alerted to that now. So I'm all about meaningful suffering. If we have to suffer and part of relationship is going to have some difficult moments, that at least we make meaning from it because we learn from it. And going forward, we can make other mistakes. <laughs> we don't have to make the same mm-hmm. ones over and over. Mm-hmm. That would be good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, apologies are often insincere. And and a lot, and I'm thinking back at my marriage too, where a lot of the "I'm sorry" is basically just "please shut up." That was that was the sense of I don't want to hear you talk anymore, so I'm just going to placate you. And, and I'm sorry you feel that way is no apology. No, it has <laughs> nothing to do with you. It's just yeah, um, it, it yeah. So it's it's people really need to learn this skill. It's so important and. And I like that you mentioned that it's not always cut and dry. It's not always resolved in one conversation. And that just because, and and the importance of calming yourself down. I think that we often don't even know what we're feeling. And so that's actually my first class is really all about identifying your own feelings and your own needs and knowing your trigger points because we often don't, don't know how to name it. You know, we we will say, I feel that, um, you know, he's treating me poorly, um, which is not a feeling. And so just knowing that and being able to calm yourself and and give yourself empathy before being able to have the, the capacity to give from your heart and in an apology, because it is a form of giving, right? It, it's required that we're very attuned to ourself and attuned to the other person, and that's an art form in and of itself. And that mm-hmm. we have a little bit more vulnerability to stand there and say, are you willing yet to forgive me for this? Man, that mm-hmm. is about, you know, that's so vulnerable. And that's the level of opening ourselves up that requires to to really feel that the whatever the breach was has been healed and that you can go on with a higher trust than before it was hurt. Mhm. Yeah. Ha, ah, let's change the world. Um okay. <laughs> um so let's talk about the root of conflict. Um and I know you mentioned that there's um, external and internal um, conflict. So, so what is the most common root of conflict in a relationship? Uh, from our experience, what we've noticed is that to the degree that um, you're not in integrity with your own truth, that is that you're not acting in accordance with your own reality, but you're 
acting in accordance with some external set of beliefs or expectations that may not always be congruent with yourself, that that you're going to have an internal conflict between um, that which you feel to be true and that which you think you should do. And mm. that, that gap uh, inevitably will show up in your external relationships. So what we found is that when we're not in alignment with ourselves, when we're not living in integrity with our own truth, that conflict is going to show up between us and people in our life who are important to us. And and that's one of the reasons why it takes more than just learning. I mean, it's helpful to learn good communication skills so that you can, you know, make responsible statements and, you know, speak from your own experience and minimize blame and judgment. All that stuff is really important. But if if you're not um, really true to yourself, then you're going to continually run up against the issues that you're not resolved with in your relationship. It's going to keep showing up. And when both people are doing that, and that happens quite often, um, you've got a situation where there's um, a mutual attempt to convert the other person into the way you want them to be. And that is um, a huge setup. Um, But it's inevitable. It's inevitable when, you know, you're not really grounded in in your own truth. I have a great example. One of the myths, myth number 32, is independence is strength and dependence is weakness. And Mm. when I was under the gas, you know, under the influence of this myth, and Charlie and I colluded about this myth, and it's a prevailing cultural myth. It's generally accepted that to be really strong, you have to be independent. You know, it's the American way. And so I was busy making dependence weak and objectionable and lesser than. But there's a very big part of me, a huge part of me, who I am. I'm a connector. I'm an extrovert. I love to talk things over. I like to process things through. Do you know I like all communication forms, verbal, nonverbal, written, all kinds. And Charlie's much more introverted, and he's a very self-contained system. So he fit into the prevailing cultural stereotype of the, you know, the independent man. And so when we colluded that he was, you know, the together one, and poor Linda, you know, she's so dependent, she needs other people's approval and attention all the time. I was feeling bad about myself so much of the time. It really took years until I could see through that myth and see there's all kinds of ways of being in the world, and it's not lesser than. In fact, that there is a healthy dependence in every loving relationship. That's why we're in relationship with those people, is they make our life a little easier. They're strong in areas that we're not. And that dependency is not a dirty word. When I was able to get past that and be more in integrity with who I really am at my core, lo and behold, my relationship with my husband improved light years. Mm. This is such a hot topic, and I absolutely would love to talk about this for another hour because 
I deal with strong, independent women who have been on their own for a while, and it is so hard for them to admit that they need a relationship, that there is a sense of dependency in a relationship which scares the heck out of them. And I think that that is something you have to claim when you are seeking a relationship, that dependency is not a dirty word. It is actually critical for having a healthy relationship. I just want to put in a, a two two cents um, about from the male perspective. Men mm-hmm. need women to own that aspect of themselves because that's how we can learn how to integrate that in our own lives. That's the gift that Linda gave me by becoming more accepting of that aspect of herself. It helped me to accept that yeah, me too. That's true for me. And and for years, I literally would not utter the word need in reference to myself. That's how mm. phobic I was about denying my own natural um, state of uh, dependence. So we couldn't create an interdependent relationship, which is what all relationships require is a healthy amount of interdependent. We're mutually dependent upon each other for certain things, and we're also independent in certain ways ourselves, that we do take responsibility for fulfilling our own needs, but not necessarily alone. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's in the context of the relationship. So it's not just, you know, the person who's honoring that in themselves that's benefiting but it's everyone in their life who needs to acknowledge that truth for themselves. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing that because I think a lot of women don't realize how much men need that too. And that men, you know, I write for the Good Men Project and it's such a wonderful forum for, for hearing from men and helping me to see what's going on inside men Um and the struggles that they have. So this is such an important conversation. Um, thank you so much for being on the show today. This is such great, great stuff. And um, I, I hope that people read your book. So if you want to let people know how they can find your book and find you, please please let us know. Mm-hmm. Our website is bloomwork, B-L-O-O-M-W-O-R-K.com. It's singular, not bloomworks. It's bloomwork. So if they can remember Bloomwork or they can remember Linda or Charlie Bloom, they can find our way to our site. You can buy the book on our website with PayPal because some people get a big kick, like me, out of having a signed-by-the-author copy. But we're on Amazon and we're in bookstores all over the place. If they happen to be out of it at the time when you go to your local bookstore, they can have it for you in a few days. Great. All right. Well, thank you again, and best of luck with with uh, the book sales and with your work, and um, continue to do the fabulous work that you do. Thank you, Sandy, for having us on the show. I really enjoyed it. I can tell you, you get this stuff. You're really I on do. our wavelength. It's fun to do yeah. an interview like that. It is. It is. I love meeting like-minded people who are on the same journey and and really bringing great. So thank you, and uh, best of luck to you, and thank you all for listening today, and I hope you go on your last first date very soon. Take care. Mm